welcome to another Sullivan Strumpf podcast. Today, we are really excited to be featuring a solo show by Sana Mestrum. The show is called Body is Verb. Good morning, Sana. Good morning, Us. So tell us about the show. For someone who isn't here, how would you describe it? I suppose they're very large sculptural works that are loosely connected to the body or sort of evocative of the body. So they're semi-figurative, semi-abstract, quite raw. They have a sort of brutalist architectural finish, although others are kind of more sort of hacked concrete that's been hacked into yeah you can feel the physical presence with them there's a weight to them yeah i actually felt with my last exhibition that it was much more clean than i intended it to be and it was really important for me to just really physically throw my body into the making of this work and for that process of making to remain evident so my own physicality embedded in the works so just to go back your last show corrections mm-hmm. you mentioned that you you didn't feel your presence was there they were just very clean lines very highly refined pieces and that's not where I'm at now you know my life has changed so much since having a child and since moving into state and working relatively remotely in the Blue Mountains so I don't have access to the fabrication teams that I used to back in Victoria and all the conditions of my life have changed and as a result I have changed and evolved and so the work has to come with me on that journey. That's right and I think in your practice and in your heart and in your head there's a strong link to language as well Mm. I mean and if we look at the titles incredibly romantic you know I'm not sure that there's a lot of romanticism happening in contemporary art I might be wrong but there's a lot of politics and identity issues but romance and romanticism is not so on trend in inverted commas Mm. so where where is the romanticism and the connection to language coming from language is the house of meaning as Herschel once said and I think that uh, for me language has always been extremely interesting because it is the container of all thought you know everything comes out of language aside from I suppose when we act on on instinct and impulse but it's really hard to to even argue that that's not born out of language it's hard to have a thought you can't think without language Mm. so I've always been interested in how we create meaning in our lives as as human beings and the role that language plays in constructing meaning. I have a real intellectual and cultural fascination in language and in etymology, like the origin of words mm. and how they have changed meaning over time. In terms of the romanticism, that sort of is not really intended. It just comes... Well, maybe not romanticism, but romantic. Yeah. There's love there. There is, and I'm thinking back to one of the early work, probably well, the first works that you referenced just before the the Mama sculptures. I guess they were quite romantic mm. too, and that was a decade ago. I I don't know why. I, I can't really <laughs> explain that. I guess that's just part of living. It's not to say that there's not sort of political interest in my work for me there is language itself is political but also the female form is highly highly politicized Mm -hmm. so for me there is still that more rigorous critique of the ways that women have been represented historically for example so in my works I'm deconstructing and reconstructing those those ideas and those forms where you touch on modernism yeah 
Yeah, and well be, be, before modernism too, just the way that through the arc of all of history, the way that the women has been represented has changed over time. You know, it used to be female forms used to be fertility goddesses in prehistory. So I'm thinking archaeological, you know, Mexican art, for example. They were really gestures of power and strength and and the ongoing and endurance of humanity. The the large work, the, the reclining nude, she's called the Nine Tomori Reclining Nude. And can you explain what... It's a, the Japanese art of eating sushi off a woman's body. So she sort of becomes, uh, well edible she becomes a a sort of an object of consumption and it in itself is a very sexist act but interestingly to me I feel that my body is exactly that it is for consumption but it's the consumption of life so I feel that you know it's subject to my son my family my job it is always it always has a job it is always being consumed by the demands placed on it and of course literally when I was breastfeeding I was being eaten you know we are eaten as women from the inside when our babies are inside us and then from the outside when they're born and so we we're sort of this entity or perhaps a sort of machine but that sounds that sounds terrible but we're in this loop that feeds itself we create this this life and then it eats us and we keep we keep sustaining it each other in, in a way. And I think a little bit of a tangent, but just after I gave birth, it became clear that I had a tumour inside me in my in my abdomen and it was attached to one of my ovaries and my whole reproductive system had to be removed. It actually wasn't ultimately when they went in to operate a year later. But this idea of being consumed from within and without at the same time for 12 months while they were getting ready to undergo this operation was a very profound and difficult, experience and I I know that I don't speak for all women but it's not unique to me by any means I think a lot of women have a lot of complications with their reproductive systems and this pressure this invisible pressure that we're always under in relation to our sort of maternal and reproductive potential is so intense so this idea of being consumed is not intended at all to be a negative one but it's a a real one there's also the modularity of them as well which sort of connects to that idea of females needing to be modular and adaptable Mm. when I go and see the works at your house there's kids all over them crawling all over these works so it's not the traditional artwork that you're not allowed to touch I really like the idea of being in servitude to people to each other to us to all of us so the idea is that people can sit on the sculptures on on a few of these particular sculptures they can sit on them they can eat off them they form in a way pedestals that you can you know that become coffee tables or or whatever you want them to be that once they leave the gallery they become utilitarian and can be assimilated into one's domestic world and domestic universe that they're not inert objects that stand in the corner and are sort of preserved in this this monostate for perpetuity rather that they are dynamic and alive and used by daily life so it could be that one of the sculptures um, becomes your coffee table and you know some of these bronze work bronze being such a sort of a traditional rarefied material I want it to be sat on I want to I guess dismantle the the privilege and the hierarchy that's often attributed to some of these materials and to sculpture in general if, if anything goes on these elements it's us as people they don't become sort of things Things that sit on top of plinths, they are the plinth for us to sit on top of. We're the sculpture in that 
sense. I've been listening a lot to Chip Taylor. He's a sort of old school country guy, folk. He has this album called I'll Carry For You. And it is so beautiful. It's just really simple, repetitive lyrics. That song, which is the title song of the album, is basically he's just saying, when things get heavy, I'll, I'll carry for you you know and his lyrics are just so simple that they just kind of they break my heart they just are really they're right there there I feel like he's in the room with me when he's singing these lyrics the other the other artist I've been listening to a lot during this the production of this work is Laurie McKenna who's alternative country and her lyrics are are also very simple, which is obviously a theme that I like. I don't like, I don't like sort of too much stuff going on. I like it really stripped back and really raw. And she is, she sings a lot about, and I guess I I love it because it's such a contrast to most music, but she sings a lot about motherhood. And I guess the simplicity and the power of the things that we do that go unnoticed as mothers, you know, from just getting up at the crack of dawn every day, you know, to prepare food. And it's just the simplest gestures that, seem so kind of trite but that actually form the the backbone of family domestic life you know and she just by magnifying those in song just by magnifying those moments I feel that she just wraps this poetry around these simple everyday gestures that I don't know that just really make me feel like I, I belong I'm part of I'm part of a gesture that is timeless now, Sana, you're going to be making a playlist and I can't wait to hear it yeah. because both of those artists I've not listened to before and I'm, they sound like exactly my kind of thing. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Now, Imogen Dixon-Smith has written a, a really fantastic essay that is in the exhibition material that you can find online or it's in our magazine as well. But she is saying, Sana, that you're not the first artist to be playful with your work, that there was a, that your work refers to um, a Dada artist, Hannah Hock. I didn't actively look at Hannah Hock's work, but I have always been a great fan of her work, her photo montages, and the way that she brought together these really disparate elements in the post-war period or in the interwar period, and that she brought them together to sort of create these new entities that... That modularity, I guess, is really consistent with my thinking. This idea that we are multiple materials and multiple entities and we have multiple functions simultaneously. And I think Hannah Hock did that in a way that was quite confrontational. And I think my work, some of the pieces could be seen as quite confrontational, but I do hope that there's a sort of a tenderness in them. So it's not just a, a sort of a critique of of what we go through as women, but that there is a there is a sort of a pride in that. Not not in the, in the sense of martyrdom, but just in it well this is it this is life this is what this is what we do actually experience and as much as as a feminist as much as I of course always advocate for equality there are such distinct differences in women and men physically and physiologically that I I am a believer that rather than than striving for equality in certain areas we need to recognize difference and work to those strengths. That actually leads us into a book that you've been reading, Invisible Woman. I think what's really interesting in terms of, as I was just saying, working towards the strengths of our differences as genders, I think this is a really um, compelling argument that the author puts forward. She she uses many, many, I mean, it's actually quite a dry book. It's very data-driven, but what she uses a number of really interesting analogies in terms of how certain industries are kind of designed to keep us out of them. For example, 
example, the construction industry, she references the size of the brick, the brick and mortar brick, the actual brick that's used to build houses, being formatted to fit the male hand, but being just too big to fit the 50th percentile of the female hand. It is really inefficient for women to build brick houses, not because we can't, but because the standard unit of measurement is designed around the male 50th percentile. And she goes through, and I find that so interesting, such a such a concise metaphor and example of the subtlety of inequality. It's so, it is so embedded in our everyday life, the, the gender differences, that we they're almost invisible to us. And I guess the, the, the core of her book suggests that every unit that our daily life is, is measured against has the, the white male as the 50th percentile. In medical research, in all, across all industries, all data historically, and really right up to the contemporary moment until more very recent sort of changes are being made, but it is that the male is the unit of measurement, which means that everything else is slightly off for us and that we are slightly excluded. So I, I find that really fascinating. To close out this really beautiful interview, and thank you, Sana, for your time. If you were to talk about the poem that Bridie Lunny wrote. Yes. For the catalogue of this exhibition, I asked my friend Bridie to, if she'd be interested in writing a poem in response to the work. So Bridie is a sculptor. She's a very dear friend of mine. We we were both in Melbourne before. Now we're both in New South Wales. Alongside her sculptural practice, she also writes poetry. And that really amped up last year during COVID. She made it a challenge for herself to write a new poem every day. And they're really sparse. They're really minimal, like her sculpture is. And we're both really interested in this relationship between form and language, sculpture and language. So she wrote me this poem. I'll read it out now. It was written for the work. For the work, yeah. I hope I read it the way that she hears it in her head, but here we go. Body exaggerated through love, through the fierce heat of molten metal, this unsettling arrangement of stacking everything up I've ever been next to everything I'm about to become. Holding the weight for you, my love, before you turn to water, to stone, climb up my hips, rest on my shoulder, your touch becoming a tool for carving these dense moments, dragging everything out of the river to wrestle matter through the deepest of times, holding space for this love and the next over and over. What I really love about this poem when Bridie sent it through to me was that it brought my mind's eye to both the maternal figure and to the lover, the erotic figure. You know, I can I can read it and reread it and see these different versions of the self in those words. And that I I love that holistic picture it paints of being human and certainly of being a mother and being a woman. I love that sort of interchangeability between those two roles coexisting as one. It's a beautiful poem, Sana, and I have to say an incredible exhibition as well. So I hope that everyone listening can come to the exhibition or at least check it out online and the playlist as well. But thank you again, Sana, for your time. It's been so great. I love working with you and I'm looking forward to seeing how it all goes. Thanks, Sis.